Genre pictures are dishonest creations. They oftentimes ignore human logic, the laws of physics, and medical facts. Take, for instance, the mystery thriller, specifically ones with characters suffering from amnesia. Enter amnesia into IMDb, and you will find, listed amongst others, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, Finding Nemo, Spellbound, Mulholland Drive, the Jason Bourne series, and about 900 other titles. Yet, for psychiatrists, precious few of those films accurately depict any neurological realities of the condition. Which is part of what makes Memento so... unique. So where are you? You're in some motel room? You just... you just wake up and you're in... in a motel room. There's the key. It feels like maybe it's just the first time you've been there, but... perhaps... you've been there for a week, three months... It's, it's kind of hard to say. I don't, I don't know. It's just an anonymous room. Christopher Nolan's Stone Cold Classic, based on a short story written by his brother Jonathan, is reputed to have been inspired by the case of Henry Gustav Molison, more commonly known as H.M. Born in Hartford, Connecticut in 1926, Molison began suffering from epilepsy around the age of 10. Never verified, doctors believed it possibly resulted from a head injury Molison sustained when he fell from his bicycle. By the time he was a teenager, Molison's seizures intensified to the point that he was subjected to teasing in school. While he became emotionally withdrawn, no doubt this alienation resulted also from the increased suppressants prescribed to him by his doctors. Then in 1953, Molison underwent brain surgery to alleviate his epilepsy. Just above both eyes, two holes were drilled into his skull. Initially, the operation was deemed a success. Molison's epileptic episodes decreased. But they came with a catastrophic side effect. Molison could no longer remember any day-to-day events. Although his personality had not changed, and he remained otherwise fully functional and intelligent, he was no longer capable of forming new memories. Psychiatrists call it anterograde amnesia. I've told you this before, haven't I? Yeah, I mean, I don't mean to mess with you, but... (laughs) It's so weird. You don't remember me at all. No. We've talked a bunch of times. I'm sure we have. Yeah. Well, what's the last thing you remember? My wife. Well, what's it like? With Memento, Christopher Nolan never aimed to present an accurate depiction of the condition. Instead, he meant his film as a theory on the nature of memory. Here is the director speaking about the film upon its release in the year 2000. The condition that the protagonist suffers from, it is a real-life condition. Um, and I researched it a little bit. And my younger brother who wrote the short story the film is based on, he researched it a little bit, but not too much, because neither of us um, were interested in presenting a medical reality of this condition. And I felt that was very important to uh, maintain, because to me what makes the film interesting is that it is an extrapolation of all of our lives. It's not a freak show. You know, this is not a freakish character. This is actually an everyman. This is one of us. He's a vehicle for making us think about our place in the world and how we identify ourselves in a slightly different way. Memento has many startling strengths. Playing Leonard, Guy Pearce somehow manages to walk the high wire of portraying a character caught between motivation for revenge and desperation in being caught in that emotional trap. More cerebral than emotional, the film offers an interesting examination of the revenge instinct, 
suggesting revenge is a reductive, if not ultimately self-defeating act. Leonard will continue on killing, pointlessly, and forever racing like a gerbil on an exercise wheel. All you do is moan. I'm the one that has to live with what you've done. I'm the one that put it all together. You, you wander around, you're playing detective. You're living a dream, kid. A dead wife to pine for. A sense of purpose to your life. A romantic quest that you wouldn't end even if I wasn't in the picture. I should kill you. Quit it, Lenny, come on. You're not a killer. That's why you're so good at it. Another of the film's virtues is Nolan's decision to shoot in both black and white and colour. While providing a quick visual code to help audiences understand where they are, perhaps Nolan was inspired by Powell and Pressburger, who, in their masterpiece A Matter of Life and Death, unexpectedly depicted heaven in monochrome and earth in technicolour. Nolan and his cinematographer Wally Pfister unexpectedly staged the present tense in black and white, while resorting to colour for the, well, are they flashbacks? Is that the correct term? If the story is told exclusively from Leonard's perspective, how can they be flashbacks if he does not remember them? If that's the case, Nolan and his superb editor Dodie Dorn are simply elaborating the structure in order to deliver Nolan's overall conceit. Here is Nolan again. Both the film and the short story deal with repetition and internal echoes. Um, and also, they both alternate between the objective and the subjective. So what I did is I alternated between these color sequences that are intensely subjective. Everything in the color sequences is from Leonard's point of view. We're always in his head, at least to begin with. We alternate with these black and white sequences that, at least to begin with, are objective. The voiceovers in the color sequence and the black and white sequence are very different. And the color sequence is the voice of the mind. It's the first person. It's very much his thoughts as he's thinking them. In the black and white scenes, they sound a bit like interview grabs. Uh, and in fact, then the black and white and the color scenes actually meet towards the end of the movie. And I think these two perspectives, the objective and the subjective, the backwards running narrative and the forwards running narrative, they actually meet at what is the, the end of the movie. Activate the special features on Blu-ray and watch the film chronologically. If you number the scenes in sequence and then compare that to the order in which they are resequenced in the film, you'll see a remarkable pattern. Label the color scenes from A to V, the black and white from 1 to 22. The structure that Nolan imposes is 1V, 2U, 3T, 4S, all the way through to 20C, 21B, and 22A, which means that there is a harmonious switching between the colour and black and white in past and present. Another depiction of amnesia is John Frankenheimer's adaptation of Richard Condon's novel The Manchurian Candidate. Staff Sergeant Raymond Shaw and his platoon are captured by North Korean forces and brainwashed with the aim of Shaw assassinating a US presidential candidate. Unaware that he is part of a vast communist conspiracy, Shaw struggles with his fragmented and incomprehensible memories. The flashbacks reference psychogenic amnesia, what we now recognize as implicit memory. And the entire conspiracy depends upon whether Shaw can be released from these invented memories in time to prevent the assassination. 
Interesting Variations on Implicit Memories can be found in the writings of Philip K. Dick, with explicit references made in Ridley Scott's Blade Runner. If we gift them the past, we create a cushion or pillow for their emotions and consequently we can control them better. Memories. You're talking about memories. And Paul Verhoeven's Total Recall. Okay. All right. All right, look, here's what we're going to do. Renata, cover up any memory that he's got of us or recall. I'll do what I can. It's pretty messy in there. Ernie, dump him in a cab around the corner. Tiffany, you help him. I'm going to destroy his file and refund his money. And if anybody comes asking, we never even heard of Douglas Quaid. While Condon's book is seen as a political thriller, it also suggests that even though memories can be lost, somewhere within the amnesia, the victim's true nature still remains and perhaps can still be retrieved. Robocop centres on a police officer who was shot to death only to be revived as a cyborg. Although every measure was made to erase whatever memories he had, the now half-machine, half-man cannot escape flashbacks from his former self. Murphy, it's you. You really don't remember me, do you? Excuse me, I have to go. Likewise, in the detective horror Angel Heart, Alan Parker's adaptation of William Hortzberg's novel has the amnesiac unwittingly pursuing himself. Johnny Favorite. Excuse me? Do you by chance remember the name Johnny Favorite? Remember the name Johnny? No, I don't think so. You never knew him? Am I supposed to know him? He was a crooner before the war, quite famous in his way. Something not wholly dissimilar occurs in Ari Fullman's masterful Waltz with Bashir. What separates this from many other films concerning amnesia is that it is animated. This decision defamiliarizes the events while also facilitating the confusion that amnesia causes. Facts tell us that in September 1982, Christian phalangists massacred some 3,000 Palestinian and Lebanese Shiites in the Shabra and Shatila refugee camps. The confusion arises because Fulman's unit played no part in the massacre. They were stationed some distance away from where the atrocities took place, and so what the film presents then is not so much an imagined reconstruction as it is a philosophical investigation into repression, amnesia, and recovered memory. Early on in the film, Fulman's friend, Ori Sivan, relates a case study of how we deal with the past. Photographs of subjects as young children are doctored so they appear within entirely fabricated settings. Not only did 80% of the subjects claim to recognize themselves, but they also claimed to recognize the fabricated settings. Memory is dynamic, says Sivan. It's alive. If details are missing, memory fills the holes in with things that never happened. Outside of being medically accurate, perhaps the best way for cinema to express amnesia is not through narrative, but through a schematic construct. More than any other filmmaker, French director Alain René examined the notion of memory as a means by which we not so much retain the past as reinvent it for our own convenience. Throughout his long career, René was attracted by cinema's ability to disassemble time and memory. Through editing, he reshaped it so we might catch snippets and sounds that confound as much as they reveal. Above all, René understood that it is memory that makes us human. And from his earliest feature films, Hiroshima Mon Amour, 
last year at Marion Bad and Je Tem Je Tem, he showed just how subjective our life experiences are. Intercutting a complex series of cryptic compositions and narrative fragments, whether those images and fragments were past or present, fantasy or memory, René released cinema from its realistic constraints and vaulted it onto the level of poetry. And while being a genre picture, Christopher Nolan's Memento delivers something surprisingly poetic.